I think Ryan Willis is what he is. I don't think you're going to see a vast improvement from him. He's going to be better. I think the run think game has to be better for him to be better. Welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leland McRae. It's time for high school football to start, so it's time for the Yak Sports Podcast to come on here and tell everybody what's going on with the local high school high school football sports teams, including volleyball, but high school football gets going this week, and we're going to talk about it a bunch on this week's episode. Joe Deck is with me, like always, and Joe, let's go. Let's start talking predictions for our local teams. We're going to focus on our seven teams that are in Augusta County, within the limits of Augusta County, and... Um, Let's go alphabetical order. Start talking about these teams. Buffalo Gap's first on the list. They were 7-5 and five last year. They lost Rivenberg. He is gone to Virginia Tech. He, he's wearing, uh, I think, number 37 down there. But who's going to fill in for him? You know, running back by committee. How's it going to happen? Win totals. I put the over-under on 3.5. What do you got and why? I have under just because I think Carter Rivenberg's a lot to replace. And I just think Buffalo Gap is just not going to be able to put it together this year. I saw so much of that offense last year really rely on Rivenberg that it makes me weary for what the Buffalo Gap Bison can do uh, this season coming up. But that being said, Coach Wygant's, you know, I saw in the paper uh, this morning, I believe, that uh, was the news leader preview was Buffalo Gap. And he was talking about, you know, the offensive line is big. They're going to push people around, and that's their game plan. Um, That's fine. I I just worry about what happens when you face another team that's big and knows how to fill gaps, and that's my concern with Buffalo Gap. I don't think they're going to have enough this year, and I think it's going to be a a tough first year for Coach Wygant, but that doesn't mean that Buffalo Gap in the future can't build something. I just think Carter Rivenberg's a lot to replace, uh, and I I think you're going to see that this season. We had Coach Wygant on our podcast a couple months ago. Go back and listen to a great interview, and he was um, believable, and I really think they have a good future at Buffalo Gap. I do agree that they're going to have a big step back this year from 7-5. and five. Um, I'm the internal optimist, though, and I'm the Homer Gap fan, I, and I admit it. I mean, I, I didn't go to Gap, but, you know, they're the rival high school. For some reason, I still root for them. So I... I'm going to say over on three and a half. And that I think is a little bit of wishful thinking. I, I think four wins might be their kind of ceiling when I look at the schedule, but please anybody from Buffalo gap, use this as motivation, you know, put this on your, on the board, you know, in in a sense and, and take this as motivation to do, to make us wrong because one player doesn't make a football team. I just saw how much that offense relied on him last year in Rivenberg that it that it does scare me this year on how they're going to balance that out. But with a different coach, maybe it it just flows a little easier. Um, Fitzgerald quietly had about a thousand yards last year. I and it was a very quiet thousand yards. So I know they'll be relying on him. I I for some reason doubt that he'll be taking the snaps this year. Um, And then if so, they they can get him the ball with a handoff. And then also they have. and his name just jumped out of my brain right now. Uh, Karakoff, he did a good job when he came in last year, and I think he'll have a uh, he'll have a potentially good season this year. But take those positives, and I still don't see a playoff run out of this team. And as much as I'd like to see one, I just don't see it happen. I think they do have a good amount of back on defense, the linebackers, the linemen on both sides of the ball. 
but I just do think it's it's going to be a tough district for them. You have Fort Defiance, who has good size up front. You have Stanton, who will have good size up front. You'll have Riverheads, who has increased size up front. And Draft, usually, you know, a fine size line. So I, I think they're going to be really pushed to their limits each and every week in this district. There's not going to be the the Stonewall Jackson game or um, you know, what Page County could do for them in, in other years um, and give them opportunity to win. You're not going to have that game this year in district. So I think it's going to be a tough district road early in the season. You have Clark County and, and I talk about game changing games coming up. Clark County is that game for me. If gap is really close in that game or even beats them, that changes my whole outview on, on them. I just don't see that happening. Then you could see wins possibly against Perry McClure likely against Bath County, but it's just hard to see a, a racking up a bunch of wins after that. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think Clark County game is going to go well for them. Perry McClure is a bit of a toss up. Uh, I do think they'll beat Bath. Um, Perry McClure lost a lot. And that, if, if this was the Perry McClure from the last couple of years, I would actually probably not even give him a chance, but uh, Perry McClure lost a lot. But after that Bath County game is when I look at this schedule, I'm like, I don't know if I see another win. Uh, yeah, East Rock is really good. I think Broadway is going to be good this year. Then they have a bye before district play, which is kind of interesting. They're the only team in the Shenandoah district that has that set up this season. Uh, but then you rattle off drafts, Stanton, Wilson. Uh, those three games are games you have to win if you're going to have a successful season, if you're Buffalo Gap. Um, and I just don't see any of those going their way. I'd say Wilson's their best chance, and we'll get into why as we move on. All right, next on the list, Fort Defiance. They're new to the district. They were 5-5 five and five last year, just missed the playoffs. Uh, you know, can they get better? Can they even get one game better and maybe find the playoffs? I got the over-under at 5.5. What do you got, Joe? I got over. Um, I got them winning at least six, probably seven. Oh, wow. Seven wins. That'd be great. Yeah, that would be great for a program that just jumped up last year from, you know, next to no wins for four straight years to really jump up to seven wins two years later would be really great. I think that it's over, but I don't think it – I'd be surprised if it gets all the way to seven. I'd say they probably stay right at six, um, but I think that might be just enough for them to slide in the playoffs. Um, but, hey, man, it, you know, you pick off – one game you're not supposed to win, and I, th- I think that would be the seven. I think my, the way I count them for six is them beating all the teams that I think they should. So um, I like them. Uh, they have a lot of size returning. They A lot of their offensive weapons are returning. And that defense last year was really great. I loved watching them in-game. They made great adjustments at halftime. I look for them to continue to do that there with uh, their defensive coach there, Bird, I believe is his name. And uh, they do a great job. So I I think over and uh hey when you say over the sky's the limit yeah i got them going four and one in a district play so so you only have them to lose into riverheads you haven't beaten draft and no i have four and one going into district play oh excuse me excuse me so that's um liberty that's the one i don't think they win yep i don't think they beat liberty bedford i think they run through waynesboro stonewall i think they pick off rockbridge at home and i think they beat broadway on the road that Rockbridge game will be interesting. They have that quarterback uh, back with the Lynch guy at wide receiver back. Uh, that's going to be a good combo for them. But, I, yeah, it's possible. That would be cool. That was a game they nearly won last year. Mm-hmm. and uh, But I think Rockbridge will also be better, as is Fort. So it'll be interesting if it's just as close um, and if, if they're able to pick that off. That'd be cool. But even if they don't, I mean, Stanton is another game I think they could win. That's another toss-up for them. 
Gotcha. So we move forward. Riverheads. This is a lot less uh, nail biting here. I have the over under at nine and a half. So basically, Joe, I'm asking, can they go undefeated? Yes. Uh, and think, in fact, I, I, I don't, don't think they have a game. I don't think they have a game within 21 points. Yeah, I you've said this to me, I, I believe not on the podcast. I, I, I guess I'm a little more grounded. Maybe depending on what East Rock is, we'll see. But Glenvar, not a chance. Glenvar's going to get housed. I think Glenvar's strong. They were strong last year. I think they return a lot. They have uh, some good defensive pieces back. They have a good running back. I I would be surprised if that game's outside of 20 points. That would surprise me. I'd also wouldn't be surprised, though, if somehow Riverheads loses that game. I think Glenvar is tough, and it's early in the season. We saw Riverheads last year. You know, they went through September still getting things figured out. They lost to East Rock early, and that was a that was a game that if they play later in the season, it's not 28 nothing. We know we know it's not going to be 28 nothing. Maybe East Rock still wins, but it's not the same game. So maybe Riverheads this year still getting things figured out here early in the season. They play Glenvar in the second week. So I, I would I would wonder about that game. But I know when when it comes to it, I'm not picking against Riverheads. And I'm also going with the over. I think Riverheads finds a way to get through the regular season. And this would be the first time they go undefeated. Uh, well, they I think they've gone undefeated in the regular season. They just haven't made it through the playoffs. But they have not gone undefeated through an entire season, winning a state championship since the first state championship in 2000, the team I was on. I think that's a storyline this year. I think once you win three in a row, you start making different goals and like, can you win <laughs> uh, without it ever losing and, and stuff like that. So I think um, I'm going to have the over and I'm going to give them the chance to go 10 and 0 and then uh, go through those playoffs, hopefully undefeated and bring another state championship back home. Yeah. Uh, we'll, I think we're going to be in Greenville on September 6th. So we'll talk yeah. in the fourth quarter about how good Glenvar is. Okay. We will. We'll, we'll talk either way. All right, moving on. Stewart's draft, a team that a lot of people okay, have put so a lot of confidence in. Complaint. You said we're doing this in alphabetical order. Stanton comes before Stewart's draft in the in the alphabet. Oh, excuse me, but I well, Stewart's draft's what I've started, and I'm talking about okay. it. So they were three and Just seven last order. year, and a lot of people are really high on them because they bring back everybody. Basically, anybody that really contributed last year, um, the high majority of them, let's say it that way, are back. Um, graduation did not hurt them badly. They seemed to get things figured out as the season went on last year, and they they played better, even if it didn't add up to a bunch of wins at the end of the regular season. Uh, they did uh, look better. Can they jump up? I have their magic number at seven, but I have their over-under at six and a half. Joe, wh- how do you think they do against that six and a half over-under? I think they're just under. I have them at six. I, I Look, they could get seven, but I think six. Yeah, seven's kind of what I kind of indicated as maybe like a ceiling or just kind of like the high point there. Um, I actually have them over. I have them right there at that seven. I think um, they have uh, their non-district there uh, early in the season, I think has some tests. I'm not saying it's any definite losses, but I think there's a couple games there where you don't know which way it'll go. So I, I would give them maybe a loss early. And then just the gauntlet of the district of playing Stanton playing Fort Defiance I think those are tough games for them and and teams that are right around them in ability and then that season closer against Riverheads you'd hate to see them sitting on six you know needing to secure a playoff spot with a with playing at Riverheads or something like that I kind of lean with them that they might be coming into that with seven already and and I'm gonna say over I think they're gonna finish with seven 
Okay, I think six and four is going to be good enough to get him in the playoffs, but we'll see. Maybe so. Maybe so. You don't. You hate to go in that last week. Yeah, you want to know a team that you that yeah you yeah. want to win going to the playoffs. Yeah, you want to know. Um, All right, now let's get to your precious Stanton. Yeah, the, who's ahead of Stewart Straff in the alphabet? If we're just going to be honest, I'm a math guy. What do you want? <laughs> uh, you have their over under set at five and a half. This is another team I have just under, and uh, it could be a little further under depending on how they do. I, I just don't know. I need to see Stanton last year was a Jekyll and Hyde team, and I need to see if they're going to be more Jekyll or more Hyde this year. Um, I'm just not sure what to expect out of them. Uh, and I, look, Will Dodd's going to have to take a big step forward if this team's going to be over five and a half, and I'm just not sure uh, that we're going to see Stanton's A game week in, week out. I think so often, especially in high school, you get those returning starters at quarterback and they really do play better in their senior year. I remember two years ago, three years ago when you had um, Williams coming in as a returning starter and he stepped up so much and he was best quarterback in the area that year. And I and I'm not sure if Dodd's going to do that, but I expect him to step up a great deal this year. I think he played tough last year, took his lumps played well at times. I mean, in one of those losses, they still scored 50 points. So I think he's going to be better. I think they're going to really get it going. And I do think they're going to be over, but I think just over at the six mark, I don't think um, they're going to rise up past seven or to eight or make a run like they did two years ago. But I do think uh, they get, they can maybe get to six wins again and maybe equal that total from last year. See, I've got three games right off the top of the schedule that I can say, I don't like Stanton in. And that's what so makes me weary with this six and a half. I don't like them against you Liberty don't like Christian. Covington? I don't like them against Liberty Christian. I don't like them against Central. And I don't like them against Riverheads. Central has lost a lot. I'm not sure how I feel about Lord Bottertot. Uh, and Lord Bottertot's really good. I, I would actually put that as a loss for him. Um, and I'm not sure I about have... Fort or Stewart Trap. Those are both toss up games for me. I got them beating Covington, losing to Liberty Christian, beating Turner Ashby. I'm actually not worried about them and Central because okay. um, well, I think we'll Central's see. lost a lot. It might be a tough game, but I, I wouldn't count that as a loss. I do have them losing to Lord Botetot. And then you get Fort Defiance, which should be, you know, we talk about these critical games in the district with teams that are, that are like each other. I think that's one of them. Week seven, I think that's one of those monument games where it, it really tells what's going to happen uh, for their season, and it's, it's Fort Stanton. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, moving on to Wilson. Yeah, Wilson, we're going to stay in district. I know Waynesboro comes before him in the alphabet. We are going to stay in district with Wilson. Okay. Wilson <laughs> in the Shenandoah district. Yeah, that's true because you did put Wilson ahead. Oh, you're <laughs> killing me. Um, you set the over-under for five and a half here, and I have him under. I have him at five. Um, there's too many toss-up games for me to go over here, um, and in toss-up games, uh, I get a little dicey. I, I, I usually take the, okay, what if it doesn't work out approach? Um, and for Wilson, that was too many of those, and I don't think they make the playoffs. I have them under as well just because I have this group of teams in Fort Defiance, Stewart Draft, Stanton, and I and I put Wilson in there in that group of who's going to be second in the district because I because I assume Riverheads will be the best and and maybe someone proves us wrong but that's that's easy to assume. I have Wilson as the weakest. That's the one I have the least confidence in going in to the season. So yeah, you can't have them all over. So I'm going to have them under as well. Um, and I'm having missing the playoffs. I know they got back into the playoffs last year at five and five. I have them missing the playoffs this year. 
I agree. Uh, Waynesboro, I think it's going to be a rough year for Waynesboro. You set the under over under at one and a half. I don't see them getting over that. I just think um, they're not very deep. They lost a lot of kids, so they don't have a lot of starters returning. And I, I just think this is going to be a rough year for the Wolf Giants. They have a quarterback that that played under center for him last year, most of the season. He didn't start the season that way. Um, but still, I, I don't think it's going to be enough to really lead them forward. If they can find a win, that would be great. Um, but I, I don't see it happening twice. I, I'm going to go under two. I hate being negative about it, but that's what I got. Uh, let's look forward at some of these game changing games. And I alluded to a couple of them. Buffalo gap. I say week one right there. If, if there's one game for Buffalo gap that could kind of change your mind on what this team's going to be, I think it happens right there at the beginning. I don't necessarily think they have to win against Clark for me to, to alter my feelings, my negativity. I know I picked over, but I'm, I'm still really doubting Buffalo gap. I think they're really sitting back. But if they beat Clark County or if they get in some kind of high score and shootout or something like that, that could alter my opinion. What do you think? Well, yeah, if they beat Clark County, I mean, that's one of the toughest games on their schedule. Sure, they're going to be over. All right, Fort Defiance. I have that week five game against Rockbridge. We talked about it. I think that's a big telling game there. If they win that game, then, yeah, I think I think things are looking really up. You're talking about them winning seven games. I, I think if they beat Rockbridge there, you're start you're going to be looking at seven wins. Yeah, I, I think it, that more. Yeah, I think Rockbridge is a big one. I think, you know, you didn't put any district games on here. I noticed um, I would say. Stanton, I'm trying to get early. The first game you come to that would change your opinion about these teams. OK, then Rockbridge. Yeah, um, I think Rockbridge is the big game for them. Non-district. Uh, if they can win that one, I think Fort Defiance is looking at a good season. I do think they're going to win that game. So uh, I like the would be great. All right, looking at Riverheads, I, I kind of had to look at it a different way. You know, if they drop a one non-district game, they do lose to Glenver or something, oh, okay, like I I probably won't change my outlook for the entire season with one loss against a non-district opponent. But if they lose two of them, if they lose to Glenver and East Rock or something like that, or or anybody else that's in their non-district, I... I would maybe come off my, well, are they going to be playing in Salem? Are they going to be playing in the state playoffs? I, that's the thing I've said today. If Riverheads isn't playing in the state playoffs, I'm pretty surprised. I'm pretty shocked. I mean, they win that region these last four years. Um, it seems handleable again. I would be really shocked. I think my opinion of them playing in the state playoffs, if they lose two non-district games, I think it would probably change a little bit. Yeah, you're trying to hedge your bet here a little bit by by saying state playoffs. I'm going to say if they don't win the state championship this year, I would be surprised. I don't I'm we're going to have an interview with Matt Hatfield and he throws some names out there cuz we ask him, but at the very beginning he says smart money's on Riverheads. And that's because Riverheads is the best team in class 1. So if they're not holding up that trophy, I'm going to be surprised. Okay. I, I, I just, but yes, two losses in non-district one loss in non-district. I would be surprised, but two, I would be worried. I, I think one would probably surprise me a little bit, but I don't think it would change my, what I think they'll do in the end of the season. No, I think two or in the non-district probably, probably yeah. would. All right. Moving on to Stanton. I think that week three Liberty Christian game, I think LCA is good, but if Lee can, if, if Lee has a positive game that way, even even if it's not a win, even if it's a good battle, I think that could maybe make me think they have an upper hand in the district more than I give them. I think I, I don't have them second best team in the district, but I think if they beat that Liberty Christian team, I could probably be convinced of that. Or if they play them real tough, I could probably start leaning that way. 
Okay, I'm glad you clarified there about playing them close is also a good sign because I agree. If they beat Liberty Christian, yeah, pave the way. Stanton is the second best team in the district. Heck, they might even beat Riverheads. If they can beat Liberty Christian, that's a good football team. Yeah. Uh, pave the way for them. I'll, if they beat Liberty Christian week three, I will say I was wrong. Stanton is going to be over. They're going to be great. <laughs> They're gonna, I'm, I'm ready to anoint them district champs. But I don't, I mean, that's how good I think Liberty Christian is. I don't think they stand a chance in that game. All right. Stay, uh, Stewart's draft. I kind of gave them the same thing as Riverheads, and that might be looking a little positive, but they played James River, Waynesboro, Covington, Clark County, and Luray. And, you know, only one of those I say is a complete pushover. Um, I don't think a lot of Covington, but maybe I should. But if they lose two non-district games, I probably start dropping them down and where I think they finish in the end. I think you disrespect Clark County and Luray, but okay. I mean, I think those are two good football teams. I think, yeah, that's why I didn't say they're not. I didn't think they're pushovers. But I, see, I, I don't I, like them in either one of those games. Okay, but I could easily see Draft starting out three and zero and making me think, oh yeah, Draft is going to be the second best team in the district, and then then lose those two, and that would come back to what I'm saying. So I think two losses in non-district would make me, yeah, they're not going to be second place team. Like they're not going to be able to hang once they get into the district. Well, if Sand beats Liberty Christian, I mean, they're the best. Uh, we've already talked about <laughs> all this. Is this is analyzing each team individually without. <laughs> If, if all these go yeah, like yeah, the right yeah, way, yeah. then yeah, we're going to be bundled back up. Sure. All right, Wilson. I have them with the game against Larray in week two kind of be in that telling game. If they're able to just beat Larray, I don't care even if it's by one. If, they're, if they beat Larray, I might look at some of those later season matchups in the district a little differently. I don't necessarily count Larray as a win for Wilson, but if they're able to do it, then I then I might start looking at that draft game or start looking at that um, Stanton game and, and kind of looking at that a little bit differently if they're able to beat Larray, who's a solid football team who's been in the playoffs each of the last like five seasons. They still bring back some good talent. They're not going to be in district, but I still think that's a good measuring stick game for the Green Hornets. They're they're going to roll through Week One, I think, but then they get that Larray game. Then Page County is a game that I believe they they lose or win that game against page County last year. That was a tight one. It's been tight the last two years. So I'm not sure what's going to happen there in the beginning, but then they have Spotswood who Spotswood's one of the best teams in three C. I mean, coming out of three. So they have some losses early that I could see them having, but I think that Larray game, if they're able to win that, it's going to get one out of the way right there. And I could really look at the whole thing differently. Yeah. I think Wilson's, I agree with you. If they beat Larray, I'd be really surprised. And then I would be saying, you know, along the same lines you did that, yes, this team actually could be doing something very special uh, and possibly, you know, looking at it as a team that maybe could be that second best team in the district that I just don't think they are right now. Um, and we'll see uh, again. I, I, Larray leaving the district, I think, is a good thing for a lot of the schools that don't necessarily have Larray on their schedule. Because uh, I think Larray's good, and I think they're at the end of their time that she into a district. We really saw them build something with their football program, um, and so I, I just I don't see it for Wilson this year. Like you, I don't think they're going to have any yeah. problems in Week One, but I, I think after Week One, it starts to get a little hairy. Uh, the page the page game is going to be close, uh, and then you play Spotswood Turner Ashby. 
I want to see what Turner Ashby has, but Turner Ashby is a team that started playing better at the end of the year too. And Mm. I, I'm not sure what to make of that team. And I'm not sure what to make of Wilson's chances in that game. I mean, Wilson beat page last year. They, they lost to Larray the last two years. They gave up 56 points the last two years to Larray. So if they're able to like, like I said, if they're able to overcome and beat Larray and a, a team they haven't been really close to these last two years, I do think that would be a, a big indicator. TA is a team I'm not as positive on. I know uh, Cody seems positive on him, though Cody's bright and positive about everybody up in Rockingham County right now. So oh I, I I am not as positive about TA, um, but maybe this year proves me wrong. But I think I kind of have Wilson beaten TA there, but I think they have other tough games there at the beginning. Uh, Waynesboro, it's basically if you get if you win a game that's great. I mean it's that's that's where you go. When you're coming off an 0 and 10 year, you're cutting your JV program. I'm not trying to be mean about it. It's just you're not looking for a district championship in Waynesboro. You're looking for moving things forward, coming out of 0 and 10, and a win does that. So, if they win one, then I'll reanalyze their schedule and see how I can come up with them winning two. Yeah, uh, I agree. And you know, we kind of had the same kind of feeling with Fort last year, right? And then they rattled off five. Yeah. So, um yeah, it's not impossible for Waynesboro to go out there and shock some people and win some games. But as you said, they're coming off an 0-10 season. Like I said, not a lot of starters returning. Uh, they lost about half their varsity roster from that 0-10 season. So they got a lot of new faces on that varsity roster. It's not a very deep varsity roster. There is no JV program. Just hasn't been a lot of good news out of Waynesboro. That being said, first game is going to be a lot. If they can find a way to beat Wilson, that that would start it. And I think right there, Looking at their schedule, I think that's the game I look at. And I, you know, you didn't pick any individual one, but that for me would be their game changer game. If they beat Wilson in week one, I think then, okay, you're not only are you one and oh, and you get that monkey off your back right out the gate, but then you're like, okay, let's look for game number two. And, and that's a lot better feeling than, okay, we lost again. Time to recalibrate and refocus. Yeah, and and finding other wins is going to be tough. That's a, that's a tough schedule, non-district, and then and then district just the same. So, all right, this week uh, we have Stanton and Fort on buys, so we can you know, have another week of breaking them down next week. But then draft versus James River, Riverheads versus Washington Lee, Gap and Clark County, and ESPN twelve forty will have Joe Deck and Leela McRae and Chip Crable's voices at the at Wilson for the Waynesboro game. And so make sure you're listening in on Friday night for that game. We go on air at 530 and uh, we do all our pregame. But before then, also, we have our preview. And you'll hear some similar points on Wednesday night as we are live from Bojangles. Make sure you stop in there if you're listening to this before Wednesday. Uh, Come on into Bojangles Wednesday evening. There's going to be coupons and prizes and cornhole and us talking about football. So come on down to uh, uh, to (laughs) Bojangles. Uh, right beside get some chicken. the chicken place <laughs> and get some chicken and uh, we'll be there talking football. All right. High school volleyball gets going this week. And uh, I believe actually, uh, as you're listening to this, uh, there's games should have already happened. And so Buffalo Gap starts out the week, Covington, Perry McClure, and uh, they're looking for an up year. They were a little down last year and uh, they're looking for some improvement. Yeah. Fort Defiance, uh, three games this week uh, at Rockbridge, at Waynesboro, and at the Fluvanna Tournament. And uh, that's a team that's always tough in volleyball. They've had some really good players come through. They seem to always be battling, but they play in the 3C, which is so tough. So they kind of get that battle. 
they'll be in the different district for regular season, but they're still going to go into those three C playoffs. I think that's going to be the interesting thing with Fort, right? Because they're in a different district. How does that, does that mess with their volleyball team when they get to the playoffs? We talk about Riverheads playing up in the regular season and then moving back to class one for the playoffs. Fort Defiance basically going to be doing the opposite. So we'll have to see if that affects their volleyball team. They have had a great team. I'm not saying this is going to be a negative for them. Um, they might use the Shindua district competition and allow it to boost themselves and give them, you know, more confidence, come in and maybe do better in three C this year and see if they can't get to the States. But, uh, like you said, that region three C is going to be really, really tough. It'll be interesting to see how the ladies from Fort Defiance handle that. You know, in recent years, I think Riverheads and Wilson have been non-district opponents for Fort Defiance and they've had some battles. I think Fort's lost some of those games and then still wound up pretty good in the, uh, in the playoffs or, or battled in the playoffs. So I don't think the district season will hold them back, um, but it'll be interesting to see as the season goes on, actually playing it and see what happens. Riverheads plays Stonewall out of district this week. Last year, they played in the state final. Uh, they fell in that state final to Patrick Henry, but uh, they're looking to go back that deep. And uh, like you said, they, they play up against a lot of two and three a schools. Um, and it seems to help them in the playoffs. So let's see if they do the same this year. Stewart Straff, they have Harrisonburg this week. Uh, Stewart Straff's are usually a strong volleyball program. They're looking to kind of stay in that mode um, and maybe, you know, make a little run in the postseason. Yeah, Stewart Straff did have a really strong season last year. And I think this is a team that, you know, when we're looking at Shenandoah District teams, especially Class 2, uh, I think this, you know, Wilson is obviously another team that's going to be a team we expect a lot out of. Uh, but I think Stewart's draft is a team that could really surprise yeah. people. We'll see. I mean, they play a class five team in Harrisonburg. Um, that's going to be a big match for them. And uh, hopefully Stewart's draft gets that win this week. Stewart's draft is usually a very balanced team. I mean, sure, they have some hitters and stuff, but I I don't recall just them being focused on one single hitter. I, I think they're usually strong all over the court. So uh, they'll need that this year uh, to try to, to move forward a little bit there. Stanton, another program that usually has a good volleyball program and they've made some deep runs. Uh, they have a, a former player playing at Virginia tech right now. So, uh, and the Williams girls. So um, they play Waynesboro Stonewall. And they're also at that flu tournament this weekend. Um, you know, they've had a lot of success uh, and they're trying to try to get to that. And I think, you know, this is one of this on uh, one of the district favorites right here in Stanton. You'd probably looking at Fort Riverheads and Stanton as the district favorites. And uh, I think Stanton going to live up to that um, and be a big contender. Wilson, as you mentioned, another strong contender. Um, and, and they'll probably try to butt back up in there into that list that I just ran off. They opened the season here with T.A. and Western Albemarle. And then Waynesboro, they took a little step back last year in volleyball, uh, but they're looking to get back up and they play Stanton and Fort Defiance this week. Yeah, young team last year. And uh, of course, you know, they're in that 3C as well. So uh, it's going to be a, they're playing in the Valley, but they got two Shenandoah district teams. So it'll be interesting to see how they do there uh, to open up the season. All right, Joe, I want to get into something I think you'll really have some comments on. Last week, Stanton unveiled their uniforms for the because they have all the new uniforms and uh, they had the football team, the cheerleaders, the cross country team. There was also the pictures of the baseball uniforms out there. I want to hear, you know, from somebody that's, you know, analyzed uniforms on a podcast before. What did you think about the unveiling of Stanton's uniforms? I thought the unveiling was sleek. I liked it. Um, yeah, George Loss had them all over social media, right? With the baseball uniforms. Dude, Those that things look sharp. So hot. 
So I'm a big hot. fan of that baseball uniform. I like the color scheme. When they announced the color scheme, I knew it was going to be hard to mess these up. Uh, and they did not do that. Uh, I thought these uniforms actually looked really, really good. Uh, and I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, when they come out, you know, the fans' reaction. Um, I, I didn't see a lot of negativity on social media about these uniforms. <laughs> So I think not look too hard, but okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't go diving, uh, diving too deep there in the comment section, but I think Sacco Sacco from the DNR said like, I dot, 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 like dot, 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 these dot, 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 like, like he was hesitant to say anything. And I just said, careful, like (laughs) they might, you might, might get bad feedback. That's with like, but I like them. Um, they are, yeah, we'll get negative feedback, I guess, but I don't know. Uh, I like them. I think the I uniforms look cool. I worry about Sacco, the outsider, having something positive. To say. I'm a, I'm a Stanton guy, so I can I can say that. <laughs> I think they look nice, and I think uh, I, maybe it's just a thing people have to get used to it. But I think once they get used to it, it'll be fine. Yeah. And uh, I, as far is. as yeah. as far as what the uniforms look like, and compared to some of the other things they've worn, that, from an announcer's perspective, uh, that's hard to see. These will not be that. So I'm a big fan of that. I uh, would also say that baseball uniform, I mean, I'm a Riverheads guy. I, I don't hide that. I want one of those baseball uniforms. I mean, they look good. It says Stanton across the front. I'm from Stanton. I mean, I, I just, it looked really good. That That's how good it looks. I want one. Yeah, I, I know you're a big Stanton guy. You constantly talk about it, but. Yeah, we I mean, are the Augusta County Sports Podcast, but okay. Yeah, but I mean, you make it like a Stanton versus Waynesboro thing. I don't know. But going back to these football uniforms, Leland, again, the old football uniforms were kind of hard to see the numbers from certain parts of the field. I don't think that's going to be an issue. Black, I think, on them. Like, it wasn't Uh, just one tone. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. These are navy blue uniforms. It's gray numbers and a white outline, but it looks like you can easily tell the numbers uh, apart. Uh, The white on gray worries me a little bit, uh, depending on where they are on the field, but it's a dark gray on that uniform. Uh, but I'm interested to see how often they wear these silver uniforms that are on the ends because it's not a uniform color you see a lot of, but I like it. Uh, that looks nice. Yeah, I'm excited. I think it's good that, you know, with all the discussion that's happened around it, at least they look good. Like, at least, you know, now it's not something to complain about. Like, they they look good, so let's roll, and uh, I'm all for that. Um, but... I, even the volleyball, I mean, every, everything looks at it. It's just that dark blue. I think that was a good choice, kind of shift into that dark blue. Yeah, I agree. All right. Now let's dive into our next topic, and we'll go to NCAA football. Um, we'll go with what actually has happened. Uh, the season started. Miami and Florida played a sloppy game on Saturday evening, but it was fun. It was fun to watch. Both teams had a chance to win. I, you know, in one sense – Miami, hey, they battled with Florida. Are they going to be able to just take the Coastal now? With how sloppy that was, I don't know if you come away with that, but at least they battled. That quarterback was getting hammered. He stood up there and kept throwing the ball. Miami's probably not looking negative, but Florida comes away with the win. Yeah, I was only able to watch the fourth quarter of this game, and I'll get to the reason for that later. But, uh, wow, the part of the game I watched, and I texted you and you were doing other stuff. Um, I was watching. I just didn't have my phone on me. Um, but I told you, it just seemed like neither team wanted to win that game. Both of them were turning the ball over. I don't know how, if you're Dan Mullen, you didn't strangle your cornerback 
on that fourth and 23 when he just totally takes the receiver out blatantly on a pass interference, I would have, it would have been really hard not to strangle him. Um, because <laughs> I, in my mind, I'm like, oh, they just lost the game. And then, of course, their defensive line gets one of their 10 sacks because, oh, man, I feel bad for that number 60 kid on Miami's line because that guy got used so badly. I, that was like a yeah, line their, of Their paper. line didn't look good. It, it might as well have been made of paper that the Gators bust through like the high school teams do uh, because that's what it looked like every time he got the ball. It just like the Gators just burst through a piece of paper and they were in his face. I felt bad for him, uh, but look, we'll have to see. I, I didn't look, I don't, if I'm Florida, you had 10 sacks and you barely won the game. I don't think I'm in love with that fact. If I'm Miami, you gave up 10 sacks and you had a tremendous amount of penalties and I'm not sure how good Florida actually is. So like you said, well, yeah. this is going to be one of those games where you have to see what happens the rest of the year. But man, I didn't think this was a very well-played game from what I saw. I mean, Florida's, you know, Florida's optimal hopes are still ahead of them. They got the win. Sure. So they can, they can move well, Miami's on optimal hopes want. are still ahead of them if they went out and win the Coastal. Yeah. And but Florida, you know, Florida is coming in a top 10 team. So they're looking, can we do a national championship? I, I don't no. predict them for that. And I even in when we did our college football talk, I, I wasn't as big on Florida as others seem to be. But their goals are still ahead of them. They can still take care of it. They still have some easier games before they get into district season or into conference season. So they'll be OK. Miami, I mean, every defensive coordinator in ACC just, you know, is going to take that film and, and see which offensive linemen they need to be picking off. And 60. I'd say four of the five of them, Left you know, tackle. it's just going to be right on them. So, um, it'll be interesting, but when you play this early, you know, teams change and, um, you know, maybe, you know, I think I said for Virginia tech play in Miami, well, we're playing them early. That could be a loss. Cause usually Miami's still good early. Maybe I'd like to play them next week right now. <laughs> Cause I, I'd like to bust through that line right now. But I would just like to, to win that. game one. Uh, yeah, let's, let's let week one play out. <laughs> We're gonna, man. It's coming. All right. Uh, week one, we're gonna let it play out with Willis as quarterback. Not a surprise. We knew that was coming. Yeah. Everything. I mean, they sent him to the ACC media days. You know, we we surprise. knew he was gonna be playing. Yeah. Um. But the surprising thing with the announcement, Quincy wasn't even second. Hendon Herker is number two on the depth chart. Okay. This is something else that bothered me in the Miami game, and it's gonna bother me when Virginia Tech does it this year. Why do you even run your second quarterback out there in a package? Everybody in the stadium knows what's happening. You just waste a play. That's all that was accomplished every time Tate Martell came into the game for Miami. And that's all that's going to get accomplished when Hinton Hooker comes in to run the ball to the left or to the right and lose three yards. Uh, to me, when that happens, I'm going to be calling for Justin Fuente's job. I'm just warning you now because it's the dumbest play in college football. And we're going to do it because we're dumb. And it might cost us the Boston College game. Don't bring Hinton Hooker in. If he's not good enough to be your starter, keep him on the sideline. If you want him in the game, you pull Ryan Willis, who's a joker of a quarterback anyway. Go on. Your point. There you go. Uh, I just wanted to hear your reaction. You gave it to me. Uh, speaking of uh, Virginia Tech quarterbacks, the one that started the season as number one last year that you hated, so in the line of oh, Virginia okay. Tech quarterbacks that you don't like. Let me tell you who Josh didn't Jackson hate him. Transferred Old to Maryland, <laughs> and now he's the starter at Maryland. Yeah, you know who didn't hate Jackson? Old Dominion's defense. They loved him because they were up 28 <laughs> points on us because he stinks. And guess what, Maryland? Enjoy him. He's all yours. Not that you were going Texas to a bowl game anyway. Again, otherwise, uh, I would say, well, just wait to that Texas game when yeah. Maryland beats Texas. But, Not uh, that they're going to a bowl game anyway, but enjoy <laughs> it. 
Well, I just wanted the reaction out of that too. So this week, Virginia Tech's at Boston College, as we all know, as we've talked about all summer, four o'clock ACC network. Joe's going to have to, you know, put his thumb up on the side of the street and hope some hitchhiking guy or pick up a hitchhiker that'll take him to a house with ACC network. UVA at Pittsburgh Saturday night at 730, also on ACC network. So if you are an in-state guy, you better hope you have ACC network. Yeah, um, I'm not going to be able to watch the game even if I had ACC Network this weekend. So that's a whole other thing. But in the future, it's gonna, it's not going to be a problem. I've already made a decision, uh, and I'm just going to get rid of it. So uh, Comcast, you failed me for the last time. We got to tag them in one of these podcast things so they can they can hear the the complaints. But hey, Directv's treat me great. Uh, with my ACC network. I think I Comcast is. I think Comcast is hearing the complaints. <laughs> <laughs> We got a Thursday night. There's an ACC game. I think Clemson, Georgia Tech. Yeah, it's a no. scrimmage for Clemson yeah. for the 2019 season. <laughs> yeah, but that's on ACC Network. So yeah, it's a big weekend for that channel. Um, but then things will kind of get back to normal. You'll with the you'll get to games. see your Jackson game uh, week two against Syracuse when they get thumped by Syracuse. So don't worry. There you go. All right, let's jump back to NFL. Uh, not much to talk about in what's going on there uh, as they just got through their third games. You finally <laughs> saw some starting quarterbacks on the field, but one starting quarterback you didn't see on the field. And I, I was really surprised by the news. It just threw me off. Was Andrew Luck retiring after his six years of playing? It would, it's surprising news. No matter how you look at it, no matter how you talk about injuries, it's surprising news. It is surprising news. Um, personally, if if he wants to retire, that's his business, right? Yep. I, I don't know what he's going through. I don't know what he's feeling physically. I don't know what he's gone through mentally. Um, these injuries have to take a mental toll on you, too, and you can't seem to be healthy. And what you really want to do is help your team. And it's not fun. I mean, I've only been seriously injured in, in terms of broken bones or serious damage done to myself. Uh, you know, a handful of, not even a handful. I can count it on one hand, the number of times. And it's not fun then. So I can't imagine. Really banging the teeth or something? <laughs> uh, I can't imagine. I'm just going to let that go. Um, I, I can't imagine what it would feel like doing it year in, year out for Andrew Luck. Uh, so I didn't have a problem with Andrew Luck retiring. I, it sucks for the Colts on the timing of it, but. Look, Andrew Luck has to decide what's best for Andrew Luck. You know what sucks for Andrew Luck? The fact that the team doctors couldn't really seem to figure be, figure out what was wrong uh, with the latest injury. So, yep. Um, I, I do. And that's think- why, it, like, the surprise wasn't quite shock. Because, like, it was surprising every day he wasn't in camp that he was deal- still mm-hmm. dealing with some kind of injury in his calf or something that you didn't really know any information. So that's why it's not shocking. It's. I mean, I immediately was like, oh, man, he must really be hurt. Like, there must be, like, a bigger injury that we don't know about here or we're about to find out. And and we didn't get all the details of that, but um, he must he's dealing with something. And I would have to say, you know, coming from the family that he does, it probably makes the decision easier to do right now. You know, if if you're the breadwinner for, you know, your entire family and your cousins and everybody else, it's probably harder to make this decision. And, and Andrew Luck's not that, I mean, he his his family has money on their own. Oh. So I think it makes that decision easier. He probably has enough to live the rest of his life. Well, he's going to be on TV or something. He's going to do whatever he wants with football now, because he's, he's a smart guy. Stanford graduate. I was going to say, he's also a Stanford grad. He's going to be fine. Yeah. 
he's gonna i just i assume he'll be on tv one way or the other and and he'll uh be doing tony romo things or a studio analyst analyst i don't know um so he'll be all right he'll be fine but you know you start looking at these other guys that retire early none that i immediately came to mind was quite six years um except for one that was pure injury but you know calvin johnson wasn't that long ago he retired early everybody was shocked when he retired that was nine years barry sanders was an early retirement robert smith was an early retirement sterling sharp terrell davis i know we're kind of going back into the 90s on some of those but we have seen stars step away from the game earlier than you thought they would and we all move on everybody's fine I mean, most of those guys I just listed off have been on TV. I mean, Robert Smith and Sterling Sharp, I know, have. So, I mean, Andrew Luck will be fine. The Colts are going to have to figure it back out. But if they were going to be any kind of good this year, they shouldn't drop off the face of the earth. That Brissett guy is a decent quarterback as a number two. Maybe it's not who you want as your number one forever, but they could be in worse shape than they are. I think this, I've said it before, I'll say it again. This next crop of quarterbacks coming into next year's draft class is going to be great it's fine Colts will be okay you draft another one so do you so they throw the season do they just go for the zero I don't think you need to I think the quarterback class is that deep I don't think you need to throw the season I think you do whatever you do and then you can just draft a quarterback you can still get a mid first rounder and be Mm -hmm. happy and be good I think uh, yeah all right let's jump over to baseball uh we have the Orioles I believe you saw some Oriole games live I saw two Orioles games live. I saw two nice. wins live. And I saw those players weekend unis up close and personal. And they are a mistake. Whoever approved those, I'm not usually pro rooting for someone to lose their job, but that person should lose their job. Um, that, that person in Fuente need to get on the same bus, huh? Uh, look, I'm not <laughs> going to be happy. You know, Look, for Virginia Tech, I'll be happy. But for Fuente and the human side, I'm not going to be like, oh, good, this guy's without a job. Fuente will get another job. That's not going to be an issue. But um, this person might not. Uh, these are bad. Whoever you decided... You one guy. You act like it's just yes, one person. No, it was one person that designed these. It was one person who approved them anyway. And that... You know what? Is maybe it, it was Rob. Or like, what do we do with Yeah, good. <laughs> I don't like him anyway. Get rid of him. He's an idiot. Um, but... I don't get why they all look the same. I don't get like across the whole league. Everybody's wearing the same jerseys. Let me come. Let me give you a crazy idea. All 30 teams have like done their own marketing. They've designed these MLB uniforms that they wear every day. Maybe we just use those and we put the player nickname on the back. That'd be fine. I, I, oh, I, I know it sounds nickname. weird, but maybe we just do it. The nickname thing. I actually, I like for a sense of creativeness. I wouldn't want it all the time. I don't know. It just needs to be a weekend. Season, yeah. But, I, I think it's cool for a weekend or even one game. Like, and maybe, that maybe can last... be league wide, but just have them wear their regular uniforms. But even like, even if you're getting crazy one weekend, like look what the the Pirates and the uh, Cubs. Yeah, I didn't had love on. that. But at least like that's better than this white and black stuff. Oh no, that and having the numbers again from an announcer standpoint. Thank goodness I I didn't have to do that because I feel for those guys. That is difficult when a team thinks of the clever idea. Oh, let's have the numbers be the same color as the Jersey. Good idea. You're an idiot. No one could tell who anyone was. The only way I could tell who someone was on Sunday was because I was sitting in the right field bleachers in the first row and the right fielder standing right in front of me and I can read his number and name. And I'm like, okay, I know who that guy is. Anybody else? Good luck. I'm just going to have to turn around and look at the giant scoreboard and hope I'm guessing right. But how was Camden? How was how was oh, Camden's great. Camden's amazing. Um, Baltimore was good. Uh, if you're ever in Baltimore, uh, Brass Tap House, good place to get a meal, watch some TV, watch some games. 
Um, that was a fun place. Um, look, the Orioles are what they are. Um, of course, it was another weekend in 2019, so the media decided to take some more shots at the Baltimore Orioles, who fired uh, some scouts. And, uh, of course, Ken Rosenthal, and then uh, not to be outdone, John Heyman jumped in as well uh, with their daily Orioles bashing of this new thing called a rebuild that has never been done in the history of baseball before. Uh, the Houston Astros definitely didn't do it. The Atlanta Braves, the Cleveland Indians, the Chicago Cubs, none of these teams rebuilt. They have always been great forever. I challenge you to prove John Heyman wrong otherwise um, because obviously the Orioles are the first team to ever do this and they're bad for the game. John Heyman, this is the same John Heyman who said the Orioles don't belong in the same field as the Yankees because they're not a Major League Baseball team then got mad when the Orioles fired basically every scout in the scouting department and was like, oh my gosh, how can you fire all these scouts with all their great baseball knowledge? Oh, the great baseball knowledge that assembled this team that doesn't belong in the same field as the New York Yankees? Yeah, excuse me, John. Maybe comments like that are why they got fired. Let's just call it what it is, Ken Rosenthal and John Heyman. Your friends, aka your sources, got fired. And you can't use a computer as a source, which is what the Orioles are going to. Which, by the way, this is exactly what the Houston Astros did, but don't tell them. I we're gonna. I'm just gonna have to get the artwork together. I'm gonna have to get Grammy back on here to make another song. We're gonna have to have a Joe hates John Heyman podcast because every week you ran against him. When John Heyman loses his job, that's another one I'll be happy because he doesn't deserve a job. He's an <laughs> I idiot. don't root for people to not have jobs, but here's another person I don't. John want to Heyman, have a job. Rob Manfred, <laughs> and if there was anyone else involved in that players' uni, out. <laughs> All right, so the Orioles heading out on the road. Uh, quick trip over to the over across the Potomac <sighs> or whatever river we're gonna go across there. The Masson Cup, yeah, just yeah. split. If you split, we keep the Masson Cup, but God, just split it. Well, they lost the lawsuit, so that's already they're already behind in the. Uh, we'll see. It's so, another appeal. Yeah, they play the Nats, then they go to the Royals. The Nats uh, obviously have the O's there, and then they're gonna host the Marlins. Um, they were eight and two last week. They're looking like a, a good, good, solid spot there in the playoffs, unless they completely fall apart in September. And then Pittsburgh, they, they had a three game sweep of the reds, but that's a, I mean, I think they doubled their win count since the all-star game with that three game sweep. So <laughs> yeah, they're not very good. Yeah. They headed out on the road to the Phillies and the Rockies and they're probably going to lose some games out there. Um, but let's look at playoffs with a month to go and we'll be focused on a lot of football for this next month. But the wild card in the AL looks like the the Rays and the A's are going to be kind of battling out there. Yeah, the Rays and the A's are kind of the race to watch. Look, I watched the Rays. Watching them in those two games, I could not tell you how the heck they've won this many games because that, that team looked like a team lost. This weekend was the perfect example of when the opener strategy goes wrong because then your bullpen's blown up and you're just looking at the guy who comes in second and saying, hey, you're going to pitch 80 to 100 pitches no matter what happens the rest of this game. Good luck. And um, I felt bad for that guy because, I mean, the second guy got tattooed just as much as the first guy both nights. Uh, so the A's are a team that is playing better, too. So, look, I liked the Rays early. They looked like they were proving me right. But here, toward the end, they're starting to fall apart, and it looks like the A's might overtake them for that second playoff spot. And then you look at the National League, and in the National League, that thing is wide open. I mean, there's four or five teams yeah. battling for that second spot right now. And it looks like it's going to be someone from the Central or someone from the East for that second spot. It looks like the Nationals probably oh, take the, the West first is spot. Done, yeah. but, uh, and they'll host that wildcard game. But 
Will it be a team from the East? Will it be the Mets that finally get up in there? Um, will it be the Brewers or um, what is it? The, the Cubs are still – the Cubs kind of dropped Cardinals. back out. They're getting swept. But Cubs, I Cards, mean, Brewers. Phillies. Phillies, Mets. Yeah. So it'll be interesting uh, to watch out the rest of the way there. Over in the AL, I mean, I like Moneyball. I like that movie. I, I tend to root for the A's when they're in it. Um, just, you know, if, if my, if it doesn't affect my team. So I hope they make it in instead of the Rays. Okay. I hope the Rays make it in because I picked them, but that's really the only reason. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here and let's get to Matt Hatfield. We're here on the Yak Sports Podcast this week with Matt Hatfield from Virginia Preps. He does a lot of great work on virginiapreps.com and Matt, um, Thank you for joining us. Uh, let's start off by just, how did you get started at Virginia Preps? A pleasure to join you guys. I got started back in December of 2004. I was actually doing some uh, freelance website and uh, radio work and was posting on the virginiapreps.com message board. Uh, at the time, our editors, Urkel Blakey, reached out about me covering high school basketball. I knew next to nothing about high school basketball. Literally, all I knew about high school basketball at that time in our state was that we had a school in Newport News, Woodside High School, that was ranked by uh, one of the magazines as one of the top 100 in the country and a few players that were nationally ranked, including Vernon Macklin, who went on to play in the NBA. And um, I heard there was three decorated coaches from our area and Bill Cochran, uh, formerly of Salem, Jack Baker, formerly of Maury, and uh, Ed Young, who, interestingly enough, I do a Saturday morning radio show with on ESPN 94.1, he of Nance River. And 15 years later, it's gotten to a point where um, – the things I do know, half of it I can't write or print. So it's been a real journey and a blast. And, and a lot of the credit goes to the readers and the loyal followers and subscribers to our site. I mean, they, they're the ones that make it go, and they're the ones that have allowed it to tick, even with this ever-changing social media landscape that we're all uh, learning about and constantly trying to adjust to. So a big shout-out to them. I know it sounds cliche and corny, but it is so true that a lot of them have just been loyal and have stuck with us for 15-plus years and over changes in me becoming a publisher back in uh, November of 2016. How, how deep in the message boards do you get on there? I mean, it can get pretty, uh, pretty dark on those message boards. Sometimes you get like HR six on the two a board and stuff like uh, how, how much on the board, how, how much time do you spend on the boards for Virginia preps? That's a good question. Probably not enough time as I should in regards to policing it. And but it, but there's also a good thing because a lot of my time is I get we get little notifications when somebody posts something they shouldn't. And we have board moderators who will delete it or they'll alert me. So honestly, because I'm I'm so busy with all that I've got going, I don't read them as much as I used to as sort of just a beginning writer or common fan, if you will. And um, I think it's changed a little bit. I think there's still a lot of loyal, passionate fans, particularly at the smaller <laughs> school level at a smaller school level, but a lot of the, and I say this, and I don't mean this to knock some of the fans in our neck of the woods in Tywood or Richmond and even Northern Virginia. I think a lot of them have just kind of gone about it a different way now. It's like, ah, oh, the boards are old, and now we just, if we want to interact about something that's on Facebook or Twitter. So it's changed in some parts of the state. In other parts of the state, it's still as rapid as ever. Yeah, I don't think X-Cross uh, from the 1A board will ever graduate <laughs> to Facebook or anything, so. Um, speaking of 1A, Riverheads won the last three state titles. Do you think anybody has a chance to knock them off this year? And, and if so, who you got? I think there's a chance, but, I mean, smart money and people would tell you you go with Riverheads. I mean, they return 
uh, a good chunk of their team. Granted, they did lose a two-time uh, State Defensive Player of the Year. Blake Smith yep. is gone. But ultimately, uh, they got a good special teams group. Zach Smiley still running the football. They do what they do. It's almost a plug-and-play system with Robert Casto, who we thought was going to be gone, and now he's come back for the Red Pride program. And, look, I, I think there's a team that could beat them. Galax is very good. Mark Dixon's got a perennial power. He's got some strong guys up front. They run the ball extremely well. Uh, ultimately, I think it's going to be Riverheads in this region. There's some other up-and-comers, though. Watch out for Rappahannock. They have a whole lot coming back. And if they get through that very tested Northern Neck District with the likes of Essex and Washington and Lee, who is the opener for Riverheads, um, they could be a thorn in somebody's side. Narrows is going to be good. So Howie lost a ton, so I don't think they're ready to do it this year. William Campbell, a year from now, they're so junior-heavy. I don't think they're ready to beat Riverheads now, but I'm curious to see with Jeremiah Smith and Zakea Towns two potential Division One kids. Can they do it in 2020? And then another team I'm watching out for is Patrick Henry of Glade Spring. They've been kind of building like a chill Howie. So while I wouldn't pick them to be Riverheads, they might be a team that could come out of the western part of the state and see them come uh, state tournament time. But I think there's, there's only two that have the real, I think, ingredients and equipped to do it. It would be Galax, and I'd still put it at about a 40 to 45% chance for them. Yeah, uh, I tend to agree with you there, Matt. Uh, but moving to Class 2, uh, who do you look at as the teams to beat in Class 2? I know that's another popular classification for our fans here in Augusta County. Sure, and on the top 10 countdown, was a little tricky at the top because Graham was the guy in Cam Allen who had the third most touchdowns in state history, who's now at Purdue, but they returned Devin Lester, who's now moving from Watershed over to quarterback and old Dominion commit. Got some great players in the uh, running back stable, if you will, and then an offensive lineman who's a sophomore in Brody Meadows who's just a massive young man who can, can build a line behind. Uh, Appomattox, who won three straight titles before last season at the Class two level, I'd watch out for them. They have one of the best young quarterbacks in the state of any classification in Trey Lawling. Uh, Doug Smith's got a program that sort of reloads, doesn't rebuild all our riverheads, if you will. And a Radford, they've got the great bloodlines there with uh, P.J. Prelu. He's a running back who is the son of the former NFL yeah. Super Bowl champion DB, uh, Pearson Prelu, and an offensive Hokey. lineman in Ben Cox. Yeah, Hokey as well. Uh, offensive lineman in Ben Cox who's committed to Vanderbilt. So those are the three favorites to me, Graham, Appomattox, and Radford. A lot of contenders after that, though, when you look at Gretna, when you look at Richland's under Greg Mance, who's going to get his 200th win this season in his great career. Uh, Glenver, Clark County, I wouldn't rule out. Ridgeview has maybe the most exciting running back in the state. And Trenton Atkins has already got Power 5 offers from Tennessee and Penn State and many others. So there's a number of teams. I think East Rockingham and Union have a well-built program. It's probably going to take a little bit of a step back this year for those two uh, strong programs. So um, class is pretty deep. I'd say your favorites, though, Graham defending champs, Appomattox, and Radford. Uh, an opponent that Riverheads faces early is uh, Glenver over on this side of the state. Um, I know they were, you know, towards the top of the top half of 2A last year. Um, do you have any kind of feel on them this year? I do. I just spoke with their coach, Kevin Clifford, last week. In fact, uh, they lost one of their best linemen from last year in Max Philpott, but this is a program that's got a running back in Brody Loader who's uh, one of the most accomplished in the state in terms of yardage and touchdowns the last couple of years. Coach Clifford, as am I, are confused on how he's not getting recruited higher. And the same goes for their linebacker in Colby Street, who's got, I think, the last three years, about 275 tackles. He's just a tackling machine at six foot tall, 205 pounds, a little bit undersized for your traditional FBS programs, but I do think he could play at a FCS possibly or a Division II school and get a scholarship. Uh, they got a pretty good kicking game. The whole key's going to be 
depth up front, defensively up front, can they withstand the rigors they're going to have in that region, which is really deep this year, guys. 2C is, I mean, Appomattox at the top and Radford at the top, and then you get to Glenver and you get to uh, Martinsville, and there's some teams that could really be dangerous four or five seats in Region 2C I would watch out for. So uh, I think Glenver's going to be good probably about where they were last year. It's going to be a matter of can they be balanced offense and survive not an injury happening up front the offensive or defensive line. Gotcha. Uh, the other region, our local schools care about mostly Ford and Waynesboro, and I don't think we'll talk too long about Waynesboro, um, but also all the schools who are north in Rockingham County, the Spotswoods and TAs and uh, Broadways. Is the Region 3C, what kind of feeling do you have on Region 3C this year? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, 3C, you start with the defending state champs and Brad Bradley's uh, Heritage Pioneers out of Lynchburg. They have to replace their quarterback in Jabari Blake. His younger brother, Jahi Blake's a wide receiver with multiple scholarship offers, including Old Dominion. I think they're the favorites. However, I'm keeping an eye on Spotswood. he got a very good defense, nice passing attack. Rob Smith is a two-sports to none football, basketball, can really go up and catch the football at wide receiver. They're going to be dangerous, uh, not just with their defense, but with their passing attack and Ryan High there. So I keep an eye on Spotswood as a team that's, that's trending upward and building. Uh, Brooksville lost a ton to graduation from a season ago. Again, they're coming out of that tough district, though, with Heritage that you're going to be battle-tested come playoff time, so they could be a lower seed, and you don't want to draw them in the first round. I think Western Admiral and Redmond's team has always been a tough out. So there's there some factors and contenders in Region 3C. Uh, I think you start, though, at the very top. I'd be surprised if we don't have a region final matchup of Heritage of Lynchburg and Spotswood, which would be neat to see. Could even take on the feel of a defensive low-scoring battle. Yeah, and last year, Spotswood was the two seed and got upset there in the first round. So it uh, be interesting to see if they could make that deeper run this year. Yeah, I think they learned a little bit from that. Sometimes you'll see a team that may be a little bit ahead of schedule. They get a high playoff seed and they're not ready for it. And they're, they're a team I'm looking at in three seed that could really be able to grow from that moment. And I know they're a first-year program, guys, and it's in 3B. But keep an eye on Independence High School. New school out of Northern Virginia, mm-hmm. coached by R.J. Windows, uh, former Stonebridge defensive coordinator. They've just got a boatload of athletes. I'm not calling for a deep run this year, but the next couple of years, 2020, 2021, we could be talking about one of those teams uh, seeing like a spot to win in the playoffs at uh, Independence High School in Region 3B, which I think is going to be wide open in years to come. Uh, you've already mentioned a few uh, times, you know, people getting big at offers at D1. And I know you're big into the recruiting game as well. Uh, a lot of our listeners, you know, in-state UVA and Virginia Tech fans, what are you seeing as far as, you know, the 2020 recruiting class, uh, maybe players they've already signed, players they're looking to sign, uh, and names that UVA and Virginia Tech fans should keep on their radar? Well, start with Virginia Tech, uh, Joe. It, you know, it reminds me of a couple of years ago where their class is really banking on getting one particular guy that's from 757. That's Keandre Lambert, uh, who's got a, a, a bevy of offers, Penn State. He's had Clemson. He's had UNC high on his list and, and many others, Georgia. And he seems to be a Virginia Tech lean as his uncle was a Hokie great and former NFL pro bowler and camp chancellor who also played at the oh, school yeah. he's at, which is Maury High School in Norfolk. And he's uh, if not the best wide receiver in the state, he's second or third, and I think he's one of the very best wide receivers on the entire East Coast. He's six foot two. He's had back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving seasons. He goes up and catches the ball uh, like nobody's business that I've seen in the last five, ten years here in Tidewater, and that's saying something considering all the receivers that have come out of here. When you think of the Justin Hunter who's in the NFL uh, that went to Ocean Lakes High School 
in Virginia Beach. So I think he's got a chance to be a pro player, and they need him in this class because they don't currently have a single rival four-star committed. Uh, granted, they've gotten some nice pickups in-state, and you look at C.J. Beasley, his teammate at Moria, running back, who's sort of a late bloomer, uh, the great quarterback who's a winner at Westfield High School, and Noah Kim, who's coming off that torn ACL. And then Lakeem Rudolph, who's a diamond in the rough, coming off an injury that was not uh, football-related. He was crossing the street, got hit by a car, but he came back from that, helped Green Run's basketball team at the state tournament for the first time in 35 years, a wide receiver who they're projecting as a defensive player uh, for the Hokies. So they've got, to, they've got to pick it up and get that marquee name that could also linger to getting some more names. And I think they've got to get a couple guys in the trenches because right now you're only looking at two defensive end commits, both out of state with Daryl Bailey and Steven Sings. Uh, no major offensive line commits. Granted, they cleaned up in this past class with all the offensive linemen they got, led by Amaya is Jesse Hansen, uh, the big tackle out of Lord Botetourt High School in Daleville. So uh, they've got some uh, work to do on the UVA side of things. I think they've done a really good job. And again, much like uh, Tech to a degree, not a, a bunch of in-state guys. They got Jimmy Christie, offensive lineman out of Dominion High School in Sterling, who we've got at rivals rated the number three prospect in the entire state for 2020 behind. Woodbridge linebacker and LSU commit Antoine Sampa and Thomas Dale running back Chris Tyree, a Notre Dame pledge, but uh, 6'7", 295, had a ton of offers. He was a big-time get, one of their two four-stars they've currently got, but I think UVA's got to get some more athleticism in that Tywood or Richmond region. Bronco Mendenhall done a good job of building inside out from the lines. They're going to get some players, I think, that can help them in the secondary wide receiver spots as they move forward. There's a couple names that could be on their list here, uh, both in 2020, 2021. So if I was to right now, I'd give UVA a little bit better grade. A lot can change now between uh, here in August and December, and then that second signing period in February. I, I want to ask you, Lou and I go back and forth on this, and I'm not going to make you give a verdict on you know coaches, but have you noticed a difference in UVA versus Virginia Tech since Beamer has left Virginia Tech? A little bit I have, and I would tell you some of that also coincides with UVA having a coaching change sure. from Mike London to Bronco Mendenhall. I think their recruiting philosophy and overall coaching strategy changed a good deal. Um, you didn't see even, you know, when they had the change from, and this is what kind of interesting about that, and that's a, that's a very interesting question. What interesting about that is when UVA or Virginia Tech, excuse me, had the change, you saw some of the same faces that were in the Frank Beamer. I mean, I guess the biggest face is the one that's going to be retired this year mm-hmm. and longtime, well-respected defensive coordinator, Bud Foster. Uh, that being said, though, you see a lot of the same faces that were there. I know he's not Old Dominion, but Brian Steinsberg was a face you saw for a long time. Zon Burns a face you seen for a long time. That's Virginia Tech. You can go on and on down the list. Coach Wiles and this name. UVA's got a bunch of different faces, and I think in certain parts of the state they have to, I guess, reassess what they're doing recruiting-wise in the state. However, they're getting the results on the field. And remember, Mike London was cleaning up getting four-star and five-star. He's had a trio of five-stars from the 757, all of whom went on to the NFL, but they weren't the big draft choices. When you look at Saquon, Smoke, Mizell, and Andrew Brown and Quinn Blanding, that being said, they weren't going to bowl games. They weren't turning out South Carolina in a bowl game, and they weren't projected to win the ACC Coastal Division. So, uh, you can look at it a couple of different ways, but I think a, a little bit of it's coincided with both of them having changes at around the same time, and that's enabled other schools in the state. It's like an FCS program that's a power in James Madison to steal a couple of prospects here and there that they might not have ordinarily stolen in years where those two programs had coaching stability. 
All right, Matt. Well, we'll get you out of here on a question that we like to ask most of our guests. Um, when you're not, I know that that time is going to be short now that high school football is getting ready to start, but when you're not uh, beating the recruiting trail and looking at all these different high school programs, is there a show on Netflix or TV that you're watching or Hulu or whatever you use that you're watching that uh, you would recommend to our audience? <laughs> That's a good one. It's funny. I'm an old sitcom person and I am using the fire stick and Netflix. And I am, I do occasionally put some of that on while I'm getting work done, but my show, my guilty pleasure, believe it or not, and I hate to admit to it. Well, I don't hate to admit it on Thursday night, starting in September. I'm a big law and order SCU person. I got turned <laughs> on to it a couple of years ago. I'll put the marathons on when they show up on USA or ION. I'm, I'm a law and order SCU. Sign me up and risk targeting and the crew. I'll watch that on Thursday nights. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for talking to us, Matt. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on when it gets close to playoff time. Uh, thanks for bringing your expertise on the entire state of Virginia to our audience. Anytime, guys. My pleasure. Time for the D block on the X Sports podcast. And I'll start it off with what's dem- dominating my life. And that was college football coverage. Um, you know, the season getting started, they're having a bunch of game days. It was kind of the ACC network getting kicked off, probably added some of the special stuff. Um, but I like all the choices for college football, like when they do the mega cast for the national championship game. Um, but uh, I like that they have the options. Now, I don't watch a lot of the other options. I like that they exist, though, because I like to catch the highlights or see some of the Twitter conversation that results in some of that. But I usually do just sit on Herb Street and uh, Fowler and I and the traditional podcast. But I like that the other options, I think it's it's cool that they exist. I will say my father-in-law, <laughs> who <laughs> turned it over to ACC Network on Saturday night, he barely likes me talking during a football game. And uh, I guess... In, in a sense, I get paid to do it. He was on the ACC network during the Miami Florida game where they had, I guess, a coach's corner or something where they had like four guys sitting in front of the game, just yeah. spouting off about the game. He was going off about how terrible it was. You couldn't keep what was going on with the game. I was like, well, why didn't you just turn it to the regular broadcast? He's like, well, I ended up doing that. You know, it was just, it was, it was hilarious. I really enjoyed his rant on that, but it reminded me that I like that those options exist. And I, like him, I wind up on the regular broadcast, but I, I think they're cool. I think it's cool to have that Homer. I really like in the national team when they have like the Homer Alabama and the Homer Clemson channels. Like if, if you're that much into your teams and that's what you want, then, then have it. I think it's cool to have it. It would be cool if Virginia tech could get there and we could listen to the home Virginia tech broadcast. Wouldn't it? That'd be cool. I like the radio team. They're a good radio team. Uh, I, lo- I love that will never happen, but I do like the new guy. He's good too. That'll never happen. Good. So we don't have to worry about it. Um, and that's Optimus Joe there for you. Um, obviously, I only got to watch the one quarter, and it was the main broadcast, in which, again, uh, watching the game, I was just like, oh, Lord. Uh, okay. I, I can't imagine what the other uh, angles would have been in that game in the fourth quarter other than, yikers, this is not good <laughs> for television. Uh, what is dominating my life, though, is going to be a family reunion. Uh, this is something we do every year, Labor Day weekend. Uh, we get together. We have uh, food, uh, play music, sing music together. Uh, we have a good time. I'm very much looking forward to that. It's one of the best times of the year. Uh, it is Saturday, so that means I won't be watching Virginia Tech Boston College, which might be for the best uh, for Leland, because if that game goes south, Leland's definitely going to be glad I'm not going to be watching, because that means I won't be texting him, because uh, I won't have service. 
So that's the other beauty for him. Uh, I'll know how the game is going because someone there will, and someone there will tell me. Uh, but hmm. I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to the family reunion and not Virginia Tech football this weekend. I assume you're recording it, so at least when we win, you can go back and see how it happened. Uh, I would love to record it, Leland, but how am I going to do that without the ACC network? Oh, that's true. That's true. Well, I guess I'll be the one analyzing the game next week, so everybody else can. Uh... Oh, I'll watch the highlights. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna be deep diving into offensive line play. So it's All gonna right, be what bad. What do you know that we need to know? The Little League World Series wrapped up this weekend. Um, the team from Virginia, South Loudon Little League, um, South Riding, I South think Riding like a Little town League. in Loudon. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, they were really good. Uh, they threw two no hitters. Uh, they just ran up against the eventual little league world champions and the little league runner up, uh, as it turned out to be in Louisiana and Hawaii, Louisiana won the whole thing. Hawaii was the U S runner up. Uh, and uh, you know, these kids have nothing to be ashamed of. It was a lot of fun. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. and they represented Virginia. Well, it's the first yeah. time Virginia has been there in a very long time. So, uh, they, they represented the Commonwealth well and, uh, good for them. I think the Virginia team kind of reminded me though, of like, and I think I ran it on this last year, so I don't know how much I need to remind it, but I hate, I do not like the pressure that this little league world series, the the way it's presented seems to put the pressure on these kids. And I, and I think it's, it's just a pressure that they don't need. And I, and I think when I was playing little league baseball and coming up, you know, we were excited to go to States and then we were excited that we we're going to go to a regional and we never made it to a national or anything like that, but we were just excited that we were doing that. It was a big experience and all that. I don't think we need ESPN coverage and as big a deal that this is to, to make it nice. And I, I mean, I think it's filling airtime for ESPN. And meanwhile, you get these little kids from, from Virginia who get hyped up all weekend because they throw two no hitters and man, it just seemed like they, it kind of went to their head a little bit. Like they thought they were better than they were or something. And you could just see them falling apart when things went bad where I don't think they would have if the cameras weren't right on them and they hadn't done 15 interviews and they weren't on set of sports center after their last win. And I just, I know it's not going to change. I know it's money. I know why would ESPN stop covering this when they, everybody's watching and I watch it too. So I don't really help the whole deal, <laughs> but I just feel bad for these kids more than I feel good for them. Cause it's like when they don't succeed, I just think it, it's worse for them than it needs to be. I don't think it's a type of pressure that these kids need at this age. Okay. But I did miss my kid from last year that, that hits Daners. I wish he was back around. They should have just had him there. They had Monet Davis there plenty. I wish they would have had the kid from last year that hits Daners. I just, I wanted to see him. Uh, okay. <laughs> what I know that you need to know, Mary Baldwin adding men's basketball they're going to get a club team together by next year. And then the year after that, they're going to start it as a varsity sport. And uh, it's crazy to me. I, I, you know, you, you didn't live here for 30 years with Mary Baldwin being all girls. And, um, you know, now they're adding men's sports and uh, they have the baseball team getting started. They have a soccer team going. Um, and now here comes basketball. So it's just crazy to me. And it's the rebranding of the university or, you know, Mary Baldwin university. Now it was you know, Mary Baldwin college. Um, I like it. I like that as another option for a small school that hopefully we get some, some local athletes playing on these teams. I'll pay more attention, the more local kids that are on the team. And it's another option for these kids to go to and, and still maybe see, be somewhat close to home. Um, but I like it. 
Um, but it just is kind of hard to get used to thinking of a men's men's sports teams at Mary Baldwin. Yeah, it is going to be interesting to see how that goes. Um, it's going to be a young program, so it's going to be a lot of growing pains. But, yeah, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, the first step to building a successful program is creating the program. So, uh, and like you said, it'll be another opportunity for local kids that maybe don't want to go far from home uh, and still play the college game. It'll give them an opportunity to do that at the D3 level. I agree. And, and I, I'll, the, like I said, the more local kids that are on it, the more I'll pay attention because I didn't pay much attention to Mary Baldwin girls basketball, but we had covered uh, gap basketball in recent years. So those girls going on that run this year with those uh, gap girls, Calhoun and uh, Varner, uh, that was exciting. So I paid a lot more attention to it. So I hope hopefully the same thing can happen for the men. All right. Well, that will do it for us here on the Yak Sports Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Yak Sports Pod. You can email us yaksportspod at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Podbean, Apple, Google, and Spotify so you don't miss another episode. My mom joined Twitter just to follow us on the on Twitter, the Yak Sports Pod on Twitter. She didn't follow me. She followed uh, the Yak Sports Pod. I think she she just likes that Joe Deck guy so much. I think that's why yeah, she well, uh, we, got on there to follow I'm it. tagged in each one of those tweets, so <laughs> be sure to follow me. You can see all my – also follow 40 Sports, which is usually where most of the John Heyman hate goes. Uh, so okay. you can mom, keep up mom, with the John. Follow 40 sports too. Okay. Yeah. So you can follow the, and that's at 40 underscore sports. Um, but yeah, you don't want to miss out on the John Heyman hate fest that goes on over there. Uh, and let's make him quit Twitter. Uh, but <laughs> no, in all seriousness, uh, subscribe on Podbean, Apple podcasts, Google, Spotify. So you don't miss another episode. Please. If you have any comments on what we said, uh, how right we are or how wrong we are, your thoughts on the Miami game. Uh, I know Jeff's going to have some opinions because UVA and Miami will be clashing heads in what the media is uh, claiming to be the ACC Coastal kind of championship, de facto championship between those two teams, I think. So uh, what did he see in Miami? Interested to see what he what his thoughts are there. Uh, but also, if you think the Orioles uh, needed to keep all that great baseball knowledge that had built the farm system that was 28th best in Major League Baseball. Let me know that as well. Uh, Until next week, thanks for listening to the Axeboards Podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. Good night. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast.